Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Amen. Thank you, Tiffany and team. Guys, give them a great hand. Don't they do a great job leading us? I love being at other places and preaching at other places, but boy, do I really love to come home and be worshiping with you, men apart with that. <clears throat> I want to ask you all a question. Well, I, I'll put it this way. I want you uh, to show me by raising your hands if you agree with the statement that I am going to make. Okay? So pay attention. Students, uh, you've been involved in something. I'll... I'll clarify that in a moment. And so you'll be a, a, a big indication of that. And to be honest, wives, I need you to keep your husbands honest, okay? I don't want them raising their hands when it's not true. Here's the statement. One of my favorite things, I love doing it, is telling people about Jesus who I know are lost. That's just about right what I thought, okay? It's about 6 to 8% of the congregation. And to be honest, it's been that way forever. Okay? That is about the corresponding percentage of people whose primary gift or second primary spiritual gift is evangelism. For the 92 to 94% of the rest of us, Okay, that's not, a, that's not something we love to do. Now, here's another statement. Raise your hands if you agree with this statement. I really want everybody in the world to know Jesus Christ the way I know Jesus Christ. And that's every one of us. Now, what is the disconnect what is the disconnect? Why don't we tell them, because we want them to know, why don't we tell them? I think I can illustrate this uh, in this way. Conversation with our pastor a couple of weeks ago over coffee, talking about sermons in church and what was going on. And, and, and Jeremy just said, you know, almost every Sunday morning, one or two people come to talk with me and their, their statement kind of goes like this. I just don't know how to tell people about Christ. I want to, but I just don't know how to do that. I had the same conversation on the golf course a couple of weeks ago with a member in a different sort of way, but he ended up by saying, I really don't know how to do it. And once I do it and I'm not successful, then, then, then Pastor Greg, how do you just keep on going? How do you just keep on going and keep on going and keep on going? That got our conversation going and, uh, 
uh, kind of really the reason I'm here this morning. Uh, this is an infomercial, by the way, uh, this morning, okay? Uh, uh, Jeremy texted me and just to say, uh, I really believe we need to, and I'm thinking, I've been talking with Pastor Hugh, uh, I really think we need to do some sort of evangelism training in the spring, and I wondered if you want to be a part of that. And the answer was absolutely, I'd love to be. Uh, and, and that's what's on the pastor's heart. And so, as the opportunity to preach, I was talking with him, and I, uh, I did a, a, a weekend of training and preaching in San Angelo last weekend on evangelism, and I just, just kind of uh, called Jeremy and said, why don't I just talk to the folks about what's coming up in the spring and try to just get a spark of desire to be able to know how to do that. Know how to have that talk, that salvation talk, that talk that in, in, in most cases we really don't want to have. And that really is the, is the root of the problem. I really, truly believe, and I would suggest to you that there is only one thing worse than being lost. Think about being lost. Lost in the forest. Lost in the desert. Lost in Houston somewhere. Lost in Texas. I've been lost in Texas lots of times. It's a horrible feeling being lost. But there's only one thing worse than that, and that's being lost, and no one is looking for you. They don't even know I'm in the forest. They don't even know I'm in the desert. I am lost. I cannot find my way home, and there is no one looking for me. Embrace that feeling. Folks, people are lost without Jesus Christ. Lost without Jesus Christ. And for the most part, no one's looking for them. North American Mission Board estimates there's about 335, 340 million people in North America. Of that, about 235 to 240 million of those people are at an age that they know right from wrong and are responsible for what they do. Of that 235, 240 million, North American Mission Board estimates 176 million of those are lost. 75% of the people who are old enough to know are lost. That's three out of four, by the way. And for the most part, no one's looking for them. No one's looking for them. And you say, well, well, well Pastor Greg, you're a long, you know, long life Baptist. You know, we're, we're Baptists. We got all these Baptist churches. You know, they're, 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 they're reaching people for Christ and they're baptizing people. Let me give you some statistics. They're two years old. I'm sorry. Couldn't get the new ones. Two years old. Statistics. 
And, and the stats are exactly the same, basically, for if you took the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the, the, the if you will, worldwide convention, about 50,000 churches, a part of that, or you take the Baptist General Convention of Texas, which we are a part of, about 5,000 churches there, or you can take the Southern Baptists of Texas State Convention, which has about 2,500 churches. You can take any one of those three denominations if you want to. Here are the stats about those churches reaching people for Christ. 20% baptize zero. 20%. 15% baptize one. 25% baptize two to five. And 15% baptize five to ten in a whole year. <clears throat> Only 25% of those churches baptize more than ten people in a year. Three out of four people do not have a saving relationship of Jesus Christ. How many lost in our community? I kind of pulled back some of you. There's not many of you old-timers left, okay? We pull back the old-timers to the nine of 90, okay? 2004, I think that was. We did the demographics. We, we did all the work to come back. We ended up saying, and it was right, of 110,000 or 120,000 people in the five-mile radius of our church, 90,000 of those were unchurched. I kind of said, I wonder what it is today. So I just took the 20 census, 91,000 plus in Kingwood, 91,000 plus in Atascacita, 15,500 in Humble. It comes out to about 175,000 people. Do the math of percentages that the North American Mission Board gives us, and we end up saying that within that three and a half or four mile radius of our church, there are 91,000 people who are old enough to know that are lost without Jesus Christ. Lost. And for the most part, no one's looking for them. So what's the commercial? The commercial is simply this. Probably in the spring, more than likely in the spring, there will be an opportunity and multiple opportunities for us as a congregation to come together to learn one of the three or four primary processes that can be used and that everyone can use to reach their neighbors and their friends for Christ. How important is that? Well, let me ask you a question. What's the greatest thing that ever happened to you? Now, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, above meeting your wife, your wedding day, the birth of your kids, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, before all that, you've got to say, the greatest day in your life is the day that you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. For me, August 11th, 1959. I know it well. I remember it exactly. I can tell you what he said and what I said. But I have another question for you. Being, because of the fact that that's, 
your important aspect of your life. What is the purpose in life for you? What is your purpose in life? If your salvation is the greatest thing that ever happened to you, shouldn't, shouldn't telling other people, shouldn't sharing with other people who Christ is, should that not be one of the purposes, if not the purpose of your life to be able to do that? I think so. I would suggest to you that we have a command to do that But we also have a method that is not so scary that we're never going to do it. We have a command. We have a method. First of all, the command. Now, you would typically, when you're talking about the command, you would typically start with the the Great Commission. Go ye therefore into all the world and, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have told you, and lo, I'll be with you always to the end of the earth. Get a little King James Version in there. And that is a command, and Christ gave us that command. But that is not the first time Jesus talked about us telling other people about him. I want to read and, and just talk for a moment uh, out of Matthew 9, 35, 38. These, these verses should be on the screen for you. Uh, Jesus says here uh, in, in, in verse 35, said, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, us, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus intended for us to bring the message that he gave to us, the love that he gave to us. He intended for us to take that to other people. That's a part. That is a... I get in trouble sometimes when I start talking about spiritual disciplines, okay? Uh, uh, stewardship is a spiritual discipline. Thank you for giving. Thank you for being faithful. You've been faithful for years and years. That's a spiritual discipline. Telling other people about Christ, witnessing, sharing, proclamation is a spiritual discipline. It's something we ought to be doing. He says, tell the harvest, pray, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers out. Now, Paul kind of explains this in a better way for us. Makes it understand it, I think, a little bit easier. Uh, he, he breaks it down into in a couple of pieces that we ought to be, uh, uh, be able to understand. 2 Corinthians 5 is a great chapter. Uh, I want to read some of these verses a moment. You under, remember if you read it, uh, uh, Paul is talking about the earthly tent and the heavenly home. What he's talking about is our physical life versus our eternal spiritual life. And Paul is saying, I am groaning, I am moaning, I don't want to be here. Uh, All this stuff is going, I really want to be there with Christ, but right now Christ has me here. Okay, And so Paul helps us understand the command. Three simple things. 
and then we'll go to the method. Three simple things in that command. First of all, uh, we see that Paul talks to us about the true purpose in life, and that true purpose in life flows out of our goal in life. What does Paul say in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians? So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. So the Apostle Paul says that, that God has given him a goal, and that goal is to please God. Now, he's going to go ahead and say in just a moment, not only is that goal to live, uh, that, that goal to please him is to live the way I ought to, but it also is to tell other people about him. Uh, verse, uh, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> verse 20, we are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So the Apostle Paul is saying that our goal in life is to please God. Our purpose in life should come out of that goal. And what is that purpose? To be ambassadors for Christ. Y'all are smart folks. You know what an ambassador does. An ambassador does not speak by himself or for himself. The ambassador speaks for the person that he is representing for. If we are ambassadors for Christ, we are speaking on behalf of Christ to other people. So our purpose ought to flow out. Now, I think all of us would like to get our arms around our purpose in life. When we have different stages in life, we stop and we think about and we contemplate. Now, is this the purpose of my life? If I go this way, if I do this, will I be able to accomplish that purpose? I tell people all the time, I don't know a whole lot of stuff, okay? The little stuff I know, I know pretty well, you know? I tell them my horizon is pretty narrow, my purpose in life is pretty narrow. When I get inside that horizon, I'm pretty good. My purpose is to win people to Jesus Christ. My purpose is to grow the kingdom. All of our purpose ought to be to a certain degree the same if we have the same goal, and that is to please God. And that is to tell people about him. Second of all, once we know that purpose and that goal, our priorities can easily be established once we understand our goal, we understand our purpose, and we understand the accountability that we have before God. Verse 5, now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Simple language, Paul simply says, okay? There is a goal. That goal is to please God. There is a purpose that is to share that with other people. And I am accountable to God because he has made me for that purpose. And he's given me the Holy Spirit to live within me, guaranteeing what will happen for me. And then third of all, the Lord has given us an assignment from where we are in life to where we are moving toward death. What is that? Verse 11. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. 
we try to persuade men. Verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has come, the new has, the old has gone, the new has come. Okay? That was my old life. I've embraced the new goal in life. I've embraced my purpose in life. I understand that I'm accountable to God. And what God wanted me to do is to be that ambassador to tell other people. Verse 18 is one of the greatest verses for us, encouragement for us in the whole Bible, in my opinion. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And listen has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You say, Pastor Greg, I'm not a minister. Yes, you are. If you are saved by the grace of God, you're a minister. And he has given you spiritual gifts, and he has given you some ministries, if you will, to be able to use those spiritual gifts to grow the kingdom and to honor him. But every single one of us has been given the ministry of reconciliation. That simply is, I am to be reconciled other people to God the same way someone else helped me to be reconciled to God. The ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20 again, we are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What? More. What, what a, 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 of a greater value could it be than personally being an ambassador for Christ to participating in the ministry of reconciliation? What is a spiritual marker? What is the spiritual marker of success for your life? Shouldn't it be? Shouldn't it be that worthy goal to please Christ daily? Isn't it clear an understanding of our accountability to God? God will give us, family, listen to me. God will give us opportunities in our life. And I believe with all my heart, I believe with all my heart that I will stand before God and before my, my Lord, and I'm going to have to give an account of what I did with each one of those opportunities. And I promise you, I pass on a lot of those opportunities. And I turned my back on some of those opportunities. Verse 10. I didn't read it. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. That's pretty simple, isn't it? It really is straightforward. Accountability. What did I do with this opportunity? I got Army's per permission to, to use him as an illustration. Uh, the Army, uh, I've known Army for, it seems like forever, uh, beginning in, in uh, 2001, 2002. Uh, I started what I call my four by four groups. I had three of them in Houston uh, in the Starbucks. Uh, 
couple of days a week we met at Starbucks. Uh, Kilshaw was with me. Jimmy Kilshaw was with me at the, at the one next to Randall's. Uh, and Jimmy knew Army, and Army started hanging around with us, okay? I had no idea whether Army was a Christian or not. Uh, I kind of laughed and said with Kilshaw, one day I was talking to Jim, Jimmy. I said, Jimmy, I got, I, I got Army on my 4 by 4 card. And Jimmy said, well, I got him on my 4 by 4 card too. Now, the reason we put him on our 4 by 4 card was because we couldn't know by the way he was living if he was a Christian or not, okay? Probably 14 or 15, I'd gone, met with the guys there at the Starbucks. I had a young lady that I was working with, uh, counseling with, that worked the the drive-in window at the Starbucks up front. So I had a cup there, and I went up there and had a cup, and, and I saw a guy I knew there, so I went inside and had a cup. I drank a lot of coffee. Uh, I, I looked at my watch. I was late for a meeting back to the church, and so I was driving back, and I said, man, I've got to have another cup of coffee. I stopped and, and parked in the parking lot. It was busy. I was about halfway down. I started walking toward the Starbucks there, and here come Army. Uh, came Army out of, out, of the, uh, out of the Starbucks, and he was visibly upset. And he came and he stopped and, and said, you know, Pastor Greg, I got to talk to you. And I'm saying to myself, I got an appointment. I got lots of stuff going on. You know, I've heard all this before. I really don't have time for this. But I stopped. And thank goodness, the Spirit spoke to me. And I stopped and said, what's going on, brother? And I think if you would ask Army, and, and, and Jeremy got the opportunity to baptize Army shortly after he got here. I think if you, if you ask Army, he will tell you that that morning standing in the Starbucks, at parking lot at Starbucks, was a morning that his life started to turn around. Not because I'm a counselor, a good counselor, nothing about that. It's just the fact that there was an opportunity... And let me tell you this, you are accountable for those opportunities. I'm not fussing at you. I'm just telling you, you're accountable for those opportunities. And my prayer for you is that you do not have to, to live with the fact that you miss as many opportunities as I've missed. Because not being alive. Now, being awake, excuse me. So we have that opportunity. But I know what some of you are saying. You're saying, Pastor Greg, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Neither do I. Mine is fourth or fifth. There's lots of different tests you can do for spiritual gifts tests. I always end up, evangelism is always fourth or fifth primary. Okay? I don't have the gift of evangelism. God knows that. God knows what your gifts are. He knows everything. But so how can we be a part? How can we be a part of reaching the 91,000 people that are lost around our church? The 13, 13 and a half million people in Texas who are lost. How can we be a part of that? There is a method. There is a method. And, and Paul, writing to the church of Colossia, gives us a blueprint of what we can do, okay? Colossians 4, 2 and 6 
describes for us what life under the rule of Christ means for believers and as a church. It leads us to direct our attention outward in order that we might recognize our responsibilities to make the truth of the gospel known to those unchurched in our community and in our world. It is basically an outline for the Christian's duty and therefore the church's duty to spread the word. It answers the realistic question, what can an ordinary group of believers do to make sure that the unchurched people around them are going to be reached? It makes an assumption, it makes an assumption that the church is committed, not only by their lives, but by their mouths. But it also accepts that a comparatively small group of people have been given the gift of direct evangelism and are preaching in the classical sense of calling. We can divide these, these verses two points very quickly with me. Number one, speaking to God about people. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in change. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Effective evangelism begins with prayer and prayer that perseveres. Now, the first sentence is very important. Devote yourselves to pray, prayer, being watchful and thankful. But I just want to say a word about the rest of those verses about Paul. Paul was in this circumstance. His prayer wasn't, give me more money, give me more food, uh, pray that, I, that I'll feel better, that I won't get beat. None of that. Paul had one request, and that request was, please allow me to clearly proclaim the mysteries of Christ to the people that are here. Now, when we talk about preaching, we think about Paul being a great preacher, and we, and we talk about this great auditorium and screens and, and microphones and all that. This preaching wasn't that kind of preaching. Now, he had some big crowds occasionally, but most of his proclamation was three and four and five and six people. It was his guards. It were the people that was in jail with him. It was some of the people around the church. Paul says, pray for me that I can, that, that I can proclaim that. Paul seems to be uh, describing this Christian ministry of proclamation uh, of, uh, 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 of, of an action of revelation almost, a declaration of something that's hid but that will be revealed. Now, the, the, the knowledge of Christ has been, re, has been written, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been spoken by other people, but I think this concept right from the Apostle Paul can help us be encouraged about us giving the witness to other people about Christ. If the vast majority of this world is going to understand and accept Christ, it's going to have to be the revelation of the spoken word by you and me. More than likely, your lost neighbors, 
your lost family, your lost friends, they're not going to read the Bible and get saved. Now, that happens sometimes, and, the, and God's Word is powerful. But that's typically not going to happen. It's going to happen when they hear that message that copies, that goes with the life that you've lived in front of them. And they're going to say, yeah, I got it. I got it. We need to understand that we need to be speaking to God about people. But I, I promise you, Paul understood, and I understand, and your pastor understands, everybody is not comfortable with the act of direct controversy. And I'm not using this in a bad Listen, the 6 to 8, 10% of you that have the gift of evangelism, I pray for you. Tell me who you are. I'll pray for you. I'll give you anything you need to go do it. Go get them, brother. Okay. But I understand that, that for the rest of us, we have to do something different. So you start by speaking to God about people. But then if you are a Christian, you cannot keep your mouth shut. You must talk to people about God. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Just as there is an ought about the preacher or Paul speaking, there is an ought about your speaking. These verses show a difference in emphasis, and I believe it's significant. They are to pray for the apostle as he preaches or do that, uh, that he proclaims, okay? In turn, he gives them and us sound advice how we should answer people. One writer put it this way. We may describe this difference by saying that while the apostle looks for many opportunities for direct evangelism and teaching, the typical Christian in Colossia is to look for many opportunities for responsive evangelism. Paul doesn't tell us to have better techniques. Good techniques are better. I've been through CWT. I've been through EE. I did faith. Techniques are good. Paul didn't tell us to have better techniques. He turns the problem around so it's very, uh, very uh, more attractive for us. Okay? What does, what does Rhett tell you students about who's your one? What's the first thing that Rhett has taught you when it comes to who's your one? You can answer. You identify someone, don't you? You identify at least one student that you know doesn't know Christ. What has he told you to do then? You are to pray for them. What do you do once you pray for them? You invest your life in them. You do some stuff with them. You build a relationship with them and continue to pray for them. And then when you have the opportunity, you invite them to come to Fall Festival. You invite them to come to events they have. And hopefully, down the line in the process, Rhett will teach you how to simply lead a person to Christ once they're ready to do that. That is 
Church, that is a process. It's not an act. It's not an event. It's a process. Church I was in last weekend, church about half our size. <clears throat> the student pastors, probably 50 years old. He was at Northside Victoria when I met him and when he went through the training for the process that, that, that I was, was, was lucky enough to be able to, to ride in four by four. He took that process to, uh, where, where were we, baby? Huh? San Angelo. My memory's great, okay? He's been there for a period. We go there. I'm kind of talking to the pastor, and I know him because he'd been in some, some places, and I'd preached for him a couple times before. And he said, you know, Pastor Greg, there's a funny thing happened. You know, I've been thinking about calling you. I really want to come here and, and do this process and train my people, and I'm thinking about that. Uh, he's got a seventh, uh, seventh grade daughter. Uh, said, I, I went up to see my daughter, and she was in the bathroom. Said, come on, Daddy, I'm, I, I, I'm uh, dressed. And I looked up on the mirror, and there were four names on the side of the mirror. And I said, I looked at that, and, and I said, honey, what is that? She said, well, those are my four by fours. I'm praying for them every, every day. And he said, you're doing it? Yeah. Well, the youth guy started doing it. Let me tell you. Okay. They, they baptized yesterday, uh, that last Sunday, the 41st and 42nd student that year coming out of that process. And that's just old Emmanuel Baptist Church in San Angelo, Texas. Now, let me tell you, it's not the process. It's not Greg Wallace. It's not Rhett Dunson. It's not the name of who's your one. It's a method, a process that honors God when you intentionally identify someone who's lost, when you pray for them, when you build your relationship with them and invest your life in them, and then be ready to invite them. And it works every time, time after time after time, church after every church. Here's the commercial. Here's the invitation. I want you to be praying. Open your heart and be sensitive to say, Pastor Jeremy, Pastor Hugh, when you offer me the chance to be trained in a process, whether it's who's your one, whether it's four by four, whether it's two by four, whether it's whatever it is, not my choice, it doesn't make any difference. But whatever that process we decide and our pastor and, and you decide to do, that you will, will invest some of your time and effort and passion to be trained in that process where you can be faithful to the call that God has put in your life. And I'll be the bad guy, all right? I don't mind. I've been a bad guy all my life. I'll be the bad guy. If you're saved, you are called and you have a responsibility to tell people about Jesus Christ. It's that simple. 
It really is. This is an easy way to do it. I thank God so much for my pastor and my staff who love you and care you and, and, and minister to you, and they want you, as I want you, to be able to stand before the Lord and say, there was an opportunity, and Lord, this is what I did with it. This is what I did with it. First Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, Set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Do this. Jessie Mary Sanders, we call her Missionary Mary. She was on our office staff when... Uh, when we first built the first little building back there, uh, Mary just loved the Lord. Great missionary heart. Uh, one of the first group to go through the 4 by 4 training when we did it. And Mary and Jesse, one of their 4 by 4s were the next door neighbor, Jan Von Swoop. Okay? They talk about him, about how great folks they are, wonderful people. They just worked on him, asked him to come to church. You know, Hugh helped because he allowed Vaughn to come and swing. He had a beautiful voice to come and, and sing without being a church member at that time. We just put love on him. Long story short, Vaughn and, and Jan accepted Lord. We're baptized. Okay? A couple of years, now I'll get the date, a couple of years, maybe three years ago, when, when Vaughn, Vaughn was a hero. Vietnam veteran pilot. He was a hero. He went to be with the Lord. Standing right here. That longtime friend. If y'all remember, I'll get, I'll get tired of now. Stood up on this platform. And I was supposed to preach after that. And sing, Sinner Saved by Grace. And that's exactly. Think about the gratitude in our heart. That our friend is face-to-face -face with God right now. And it was because of two regular old church members who said, we're going to identify that couple, and we're going to pour our lives into them, and we're going to pray for them. And when the time's right, we're going to have the conversation, the salvation talk about accepting Christ. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.